And we are live. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 3094 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Monday. We're starting later than we do on a Monday generally. We do have an episode of Outback with Jack for you guys today. Those of you on the uh, video live feed, you'll get a chance to interact with us uh, quite a bit today. I can see the head counts higher than normal at the very beginning. That's because of probably some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. Today's going to be a mix of Doom and gloom and then bloodletting in the Bitcoin space. No, not actually. We're going to talk about the bloodletting in the altcoin slash shitcoin space. What really happened and how Terra Luna plays with that. And a lesson you better learn now because this is not going to get better anytime soon. The bloodletting has only just begun. Uh, we're gonna, so we're gonna talk about that. We're also going to talk about something I have dubbed and I, I just thought of this this morning. The natural systems quadlemma. And I, I called it that in the notes. It's really the natural versus, I guess, synthetic systems quadlemma. It has to do with growing food and making your decisions. It's just something I thought about this morning when I was watering, or I should say topping up the wicking beds in my aviary. And then somebody sent me this while I was gone, and I'm really happy they did. It's a video of a young man from Japan who has never touched until he got to this uh, place here in the United States, an actual firearm. For three years, he trained on his own with Airsoft, came over here and shot with some of the best shooters there are, and more than held his own with just a little bit of coaching. So we are going to destroy the Airsoft is not realistic for training nonsense today. I actually have a video segment that I edited together of a larger uh, video thing on that from uh, T-Rex, and uh, I'll play that for you guys today. Uh, those of you on the audio only, I'll skip over playing that for you. I'll edit it out because without the visuals, it's not that impactful. It's going to be one of those things, if you get the audio, I'm going to recommend that you either, you know, go find that point in today's video podcast or that you go look at the original video and watch the whole 30 minutes because you'll sit there fascinated. I'm going to blow you guys away with how good this kid is today. Uh, and I, he's a kid. Even like I know old guys, we call 30 year olds kid. No, this is a kid and he is phenomenal. And it's all about muscle memory. It's all the stuff that I've taught you guys about airsoft over the years. And I have some thoughts about how maybe we should be using airsoft in training kids. And I think maybe it's even a part time side hustle or even full time business idea. And I think we can teach a lot with this. I'll, I'll, I'll save it for when we get there. Um, I have a point to ponder. I mentioned this a couple times, but we never dove into it yet. Something I heard on Pompliano's podcast. A point to ponder. When the marginal cost is zero, the end product becomes free, i.e. tech is deflationary. We're going to talk about that. And I think it's a good primer for something we're going to get to a couple points later. Uh, we're talking about, of all things, Ted Kaczynski. Uh, next up, the real pain in all the stupidity that you're seeing, the uh, potato in chief, all of it, it's only getting warmed up. I'm going to give you some more thoughts about what I see coming this summer and in the fall and why I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. I do think it's going to get dramatically worse, and I do think everybody out there needs to take this seriously and up your prepping skills a little bit uh, and your preps a little bit. And I'm going to talk about how you might even see by fall the return of COVID stupidity and why I don't think you'll see it return to places like Texas and Florida, and it's probably not why you think. 
Uh, real quick, I'm going to talk a little bit about what went on at Exit and Build. Uh, John Bush did a phenomenal job. I just honestly forgot what it's like to speak in front of 500 plus people. It is something that if you're a speaker, you know, maybe I just need to get out a little bit more, even though it's hard to do and do it a little bit more. Yeah. Then we're going to talk about Ted Kaczynski. And I'll say right up front. Yes. Ted Kaczynski is a murderous bastard. I am in no way endorsing, uh, that side of what Kaczynski did. We are going to talk a little bit about maybe why it occurred and maybe why we shouldn't just write off the infamous manifesto. I'm actually going to play for you a few minutes of an audio that you can listen to the entire thing for free. It's on Odyssey. I have pulled out a little segment and it's, it's toward the beginning. It's on leftists and leftism. And I think it's because it'll, I picked that piece because it'll resonate with this crowd. There's a lot of other things in it and I'll talk about a few things and I'm going to suggest maybe you go listen to this. And I, I know how some of you guys are going to feel and hey, you know what? You know what I need you guys to do? I'll tell you when we get to that segment. Then we're going to talk about, um, how hardware drives software. Everybody seems so big on the AI and all these software developments that are coming and I'm going to put it to you in a way where you're going to go, oh, wow, I'd never really thought of that before. I, I think for many of you anyway, especially if you're not in the tech sector, and, and you'll realize how it affects you. Then I'm going to talk about how dystopian our future might be. Have you ever heard of something called an empathy nurse? An empathy nurse. Pretty obvious what an empathy nurse would be. But aren't nurses pretty em- empathetic already when they're caring for you? Like if you're really sick or dying or something like that? Well, I guess maybe not as much as we'd like them to be as hard worked as they are, but there's a reason that the empathy nurse is considered a job growth sector in our future, and you won't believe it when I tell you. And when you research it, you'll find out, as always, I don't bullshit. And then we're going to talk about, even watch a little clip of something that's becoming more and more reality today, the old movie Idiocracy. Yeah, I have three video slash audio clips for you today, and I'm going to Play for you President Mountain Dew Camacho's speech about not sure fixing everything in one week. And there's going to be two things to this. One, I want you to realize that not sure is not coming and how similar the problems in the idiocracy are to the problems we're experiencing right now. Uh, I didn't bring anything on about it, but Soil Green, uh, I think was released in 72 and it also seems quite quite fitting for at least the problem side of today. But then I'm going to talk about something. Oh, Mike, I haven't even gotten started yet in a $25 super chat, man. Thank you so much for that. Uh, power might go out, so sending it early. Keep making great shows, Jack. If, you, if it does go out, uh, Mike, just know that, of course, the archive will be available. But I, I discovered something this morning when I was playing around with what to close the show on, and I came up with the not sure thing. And we all have to be not sure. And what that really means. And I think it might blow you away just a little bit when I get to it. So that's what we're covering today. Real quick, just wanted to remind you guys, the show is sponsored by really great sponsors that I personally vetted. And if they weren't really great, I wouldn't recommend them to you. And uh, today's sponsor of the day, number one, is jmbullion.com. I'm going to talk about crypto today. I talked about crypto, I talk about crypto a lot. I'm not an either-or guy, right, though. Like I'm not like, I'm all in on metal. I'm all in on crypto. I really believe that gold and silver play a place in your long-term financial resiliency, and I recommend you get your silver and or gold from Jam Bullion because they do a discount for you guys that are members. No one does no one does a discount in silver and gold, guys. It's such a thin margin. It's unbelievable we have one for you. 
Uh, you also will get your shipping for free, and you'll get better pricing than giant, giant, giant silver houses like Monex and Atmex and Lear Capital. In fact, I told Lear Capital to go screw when they asked not once but twice to sponsor this show because I like working with people like Jan Bullion that actually care about you guys on the other end of the deal. Next up today, RidgeWallet.com. I actually do carry a Ridge Wallet everywhere I go. There it is right there. I've been carrying it for over three years now. They approached me. I said, I don't know if this fits my audience. They said, let us send you one. Um, I got one. I had to get rid of a bunch of crap out of my billfold. I'm glad I did. It protects me from identity theft. It looks really cool. It works great. And it's long-lasting, man. Again, I've had this three years. It's still, like, brand new, other than you can see. It's a, For those watching the video, it's a little worn on the surface, but it, it works. It functions exactly like it did when I started out. And because I don't have that big billfold on my butt, I don't take it out of my my pants when I'm driving and end up in the store without my wallet and can't pay for stuff. And I got a cart full of crap and I got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. Check it out. And Greg says thoughts on the UST Luna crash. I'm not going to start that one, Greg, because we are going to cover that. In fact, that's going to be uh, right up near the top of the show. In fact, it's going to be our lead story today. Now that I checked my bullet points, I didn't want to say that till I was sure. So let's talk about what happened with UST and Luna in the crypto space, and this is a bloodletting, and more is to come. I'm going to give you the short, 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 short version of this. First, I want to point out that the day before all this shit happened, I kind of mentioned Terra Luna and said that it was in, it was likely to have a lot of real problems in the future, and I wouldn't touch it. You guys remember that? It was like the day before it happened. Now, I thought they would be able to make their Ponzi work a little longer than they did. I was more worried about the SEC coming in or the FTC coming in and laying the smack down on them. But what really happened here is that they were, well, they were laying up Bitcoin and using Bitcoin to stabilize Terra uh, UST, which was a stable coin. It wasn't very stable. And when the Bitcoin price crashed, they had to start liquidating Bitcoin to cover the spread on the backing for their stable coin that wasn't stable. I think they had somewhere in the neighborhood of like $25 billion in Bitcoin or something like that. At least it was worth that when the whole thing started. And so when you start liquidating that much Bitcoin, you start driving the price of Bitcoin down, but you have no choice. And as you drive the price down, you make the thing on the other side of your own problem worse. You see how that works? So what ends up happening then is you are your own executioner. And anybody that looked at Terra, UST, and Terra Luna with a critical eye instead of following the cult leader that started it said, this is going to happen. And then nobody listened to him. Everybody told him, shut up. You don't know nothing. Don't be a dream stealer. And now the dreams are dead. Terra Luna went from something like 37 bucks to like point zero 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 six millionths of a cent. Uh, UST is no longer pegged to the dollar. It's like a fraction of a cent or something, too. It's all dead, and it's not coming back in spite of the cult leader saying, we shall return. Oh, I'm not going to tap dance on this. I don't feel good about it. I want to point something out. I believe that Terra Luna, the whole ecosystem, was worth north of $50 billion, and it's now worthless. And in, in this modern age, we like 50 billion. Ah, that's chump change or whatever. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And I want to put it in perspective. 
Do you guys, nobody look it up, see if anybody knows on the top of their head, what was the value, rough value of Enron when it collapsed and kicked off a whole series of freaking misery and pain in the United States economy? Anybody know what Enron was worth? And if, 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 see if anybody does in the comments, I'll, I'll just say that Enron had stuff, right? Enron didn't just have money and paper money and fake money and, and, and leverage positions. Enron actually had like, some real estate and some physical assets. And when it, when it crapped the bed about 10, 4 billion, dude, no, not even close. 8 billion, 800 billion ish. No. Enron was worth about $70 billion. 70 billion. And you can think back to the fact that everybody heard about it when it happened. 70 billion. Terra Luna. It was worth about 50 billion and it just went to zero. So it's not quite Enron-esque and, you know, a billion dollars ain't what a billion dollars was back at the, the beginning of the millennia, but it's still a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And what I was saying about Enron there was when everybody got hurt and they went after Enron to try to get some restitution, it ended up that what was left of Enron was parted out, picked apart, and some people were made partially better, not even partially whole, but about 10%, $7 So $70 billion ended up with uh, picking the bone fest of about $7 billion. Um, Terra Luna didn't own shit except Bitcoin, which has all been liquidated to cover its leverage spread, and so it went from $50 billion to below zero. Nobody's going to get shit. Uh, what's his name that's behind Ethereum came out and said they should all be made whole up to at least quarter million dollars because my, my, my FDIC, well, they weren't part of FDIC, and this is all part of what I told you was going to happen. This is going to be used. That's why they let them do it. Instead of creating a crisis, they're like, oh, look, a crisis waiting to happen. We'll just sit back and wait for it. This is going to be used to usher in the age of the FDIC backed stable coin where only real banks are going to be able to make stable coins and the people that do have enough bitcoin to pay their bills as they get into this regulatory framework will be able to do it yeah remember i talked about that last week right before all this happened yeah but you know what else is coming more bloodletting there's one particular ponzi scheme out there that it's the only real Shit coin Ponzi scheme that you guys from my audience keep throwing at me and trying to win Jack over to it. Tell everybody about it. It's called Hex. It's run by another cult leader and it's attached to something called Pulse Chain. Thank you, Greg, for the $10 super chat. I really appreciate that. Uh, Greg said, I thought I would send you 10 bucks instead of 50,916 Luna. Thank you, Greg. So I know I'm going to piss some people off. I might lose some listeners right now. I might see the number go down. Uh, of the people in the live feed, if you are Hex followers, because they are a cult that doesn't make any sense, and Hex is about to do a Luna really, really soon, and it always was. If you don't know what Hex is, don't learn. If you don't know what Pulse Chain is, don't learn. Don't learn things that won't matter in a few months or less. Uh, Plant Propagation says Doge. Doge, by comparison to Hex is a god coin. It's beautiful compared to, I mean, it is a complete scam. If you go to the Hex website, you'll see a whole page dedicated to telling you why it's not a scam. Guys, listen, if you have an entire page dedicated to any project or anything um, that says we are not a scam because you're a scam, it's back to what I said. If somebody says, you can trust me, run the hell away. 
I just want you guys to understand there is a tremendous amount of leverage in the altcoin space. In the case of Hex, it's not leveraged against Bitcoin. It's leveraged against Ethereum. And at one time, there was a lot more Ethereum there than there is now. How do we know that? Because they have it all on one address because an Ethereum address is an account. And it's dwindled from something like 200 billion worth of Ethereum to 25 billion worth of Ethereum. And it's about to die. Stay away from all this shit. All this, you, know, you, I, you guys asked me so much about yield farming and all that crap. And I looked at it and I said, I, you know, I'm not going to crap on it, but I'm not going to tell you to do it. Now I'm going to tell you a lot of it, most of it, don't do it. I'm becoming more and more a Bitcoin maximalist every day. Because here's your philosophy if you're a Bitcoin maximalist. You want to have money in the future? You want to insure your future? And you want to use crypto to do it? Buy Bitcoin, put yourself in a coma. That's an easy system. Remember I did an episode of Miyagi Mornings back when I was still doing that, that segment? And I said every consistently valid method of building wealth that's proven to work over time is boring. And that's why nobody wants to do it. But it means you can do it. There you go. There you go. Uh, K-Bonk says, I'm not going to start this for later. I'll, I'll use it now before I move on to my next one. Um, K-Bonk, just listen to Richard Hart, its founder. I agree. And I, you know what I've heard? He's so smart, Jack. That's what you guys pitching me, this shit coin, have said to me. You can't even buy it, by the way. You have to email customer service and send them Ethereum and have them put it in your account, and then they're going to pay you some ungodly interest rate because no one knows why. You know the one question that nobody could ever answer for me about Hex? What's on the other side of the financing? They didn't even understand the question. You get some, some stupid shit like 13% on it, and it's not like a proof-of-stake coin that has a short yield that goes down over time or something. No, no, no. No, it's just because locking up your money has value. No shit. That's the whole thing. The money has value over time, so locking it up earns you a reward, and we have built-in inflation that pays it. Okay. All right. And Camillo, uh, Camillo JDL says, cheers to Jack becoming a maxi. I'm going to still say I'm a shitcoin minimalist, but I am a minute minimalist. There's some use cases still out there yet, but what I'm seeing coming out of Lightning, and we won't go into all that crap today, is that every single thing that there was a use case scenario for altcoins for now can be done with Bitcoin. Now that I can do micro-tipping, Easily. I can tip somebody a nickel. And by the way, I, had, I didn't get it done today, but I'm going to add a thing when I'm doing my live stream. Maybe up there where the Val head is in the corner. Instead, there'll be a little QR code. You guys can tip me on Lightning instead of super chatting me. If you can tip me a nickel with Lightning and it works, there is no use case for anything other than privacy coins. And the way Lightning works, that's going to go away too. And more tech is going to be built on it. So anyway, I'll say one more thing on this before I, I leave the crypto thing here. The real purpose of Bitcoin was to eliminate the power to print money at will. Because the power is like the one ring that rules them all. It's too powerful to be resisted. And I would say almost every altcoin exists so that people can print money. And the reason that people do an alt instead of integrate Bitcoin into their technology Maybe we'll do this tomorrow because it's too long and I got to go on. But it's because they can print money with it and the temptation is too powerful. Moving on, I want to talk about the natural systems quadlemma because many of you are just getting into growing your own food right now. And I want you to think about this. 
So the technology trilemma, right, which is a real word instead of a made-up one like I made up this morning with the, the natural versus uh, synthetic systems quad lemma, is you can have it fast, reliable, or cheap. That's that's the technology trilemma. I can give you fast and reliable. It ain't going to be cheap. I can give you reliable and cheap, but it ain't going to be fast relative to other systems available at the time, right? That's the, the technology trilemma. The natural systems quad lemma is it can be – this is the thing. It's not a direct corollary, so don't try to make it one. In the natural systems, we can have it's natural and it fails or it's natural and it works. And we can have it synthetic and it works or synthetic and it fails. And we have to add to it a time quotient. So does dumping NPK fertilizer on soil work to grow plants? It's synthetic and it works. Can't say it doesn't. Humankind would be dead. But it also fails eventually. So we're going to let that go for a second. But you know what's worse than synthetic and works for a time? Natural and fails. What good is something if it's all natural but it fails? Not very good, especially if you're making a bet. See, a bet that, that something will work that works 90% of the time is fine. Right up until you're betting your life or somebody else is on it. See how that works? So I think some of you need to be open to at least some portion of what you're doing, synthetic and works, instead of natural and fails when it comes to growing your own food, and then have a plan to get away from that and to think about long-term consequences. So I'm going to shift gears as I explain this, and it's something that won't seem to make sense in just for a second. A surgeon. You know, doctors have a credo, first do no harm. You have to actually understand what that means, though, because if I'm a surgeon and I lay you on a table and have somebody put a substance, a poison into your body, that incapacitates you to the point where if we didn't put a tube down your throat and ventilate you, you would die because you'll stop breathing. Then I take a rotary saw and go through your sternum and crack your chest open, expose your heart and your lungs, and then put you on coronary bypass and and disconnect uh, you know, arteries and veins going into your heart. And then I swap those out and do a valve bypass or replacement or some shit like that and sew you back up. Did I do harm? You bet your freaking ass I did. Having your, your chest cracked open is harm. A surgeon does harm. It is that the long term benefit outweighs the short term harm. That's how first do no harm is still met. But if we took it completely and totally Literally, we would have no surgeons. And so when we're looking at a system and we're saying, I need this garden to grow me food today and I need it to work this year because I'm betting on it now that we're going to have food for the fall and winter, then if I can't do it effectively out of the gate all naturally, I will use the synthetic where I need to. But I also have to think, How much damage will this do to the long-term system? How do I isolate it? So if I'm doing containers and I throw NPK in there, and I'm not saying you should, I'm just saying if I do, I've really isolated it. If I completely pound the ground with synthetic NPK, I start the whole biocide cycle. But if I do it as a gardener, I do a lot less of it than I do it as a farmer. And I can begin to transition. I'm not saying what to do and what not to do here. I'm just giving you a method of thinking about this probably differently than you ever had. Because all natural and doesn't work 
is not good. Now, all natural, turns out doesn't work. Learn from it, improve, great. But if you get into a point where you're really relying on production, I am not going to fault you for going out and buying a bag of 10, 10, 10, and even some seven dust and growing a garden and producing food. Is it ideal? No. Is it what I'm going to do? No. I also have a lifetime of experience doing this. And I think we need to stop shitting on people who take that approach because they're betting their life on it. The natural versus synthetic systems quadlemma. Uh, next, I have taught airsoft a long time. A long time. I have preached airsoft. I think the first workshop where we ever did airsoft guns in the workshop was in 2016, if I remember right. 2022, that seems crazy, but that would be eight years. And I talked about airsoft way back in the beginning. I'm sure I did in 2009. Not sure if it made it the cut in 2008. So if it's 2009, we're looking at 12, 13 years that I've been recommending airsoft. And I always get an objection. It's not realistic. Yeah, it's not realistic for training, screeching, autistically, et cetera, from the peanut gallery. Well, there's a young man in Japan who, because Japan doesn't believe in your personal right of self-defense, home of the samurai, but that means you have a right to self-defense from somebody appointed to do it for you. You ever think about that shit? Because back in the heyday of the samurai, the common citizen wasn't allowed the possession of the sword. So it's not even a surprise to me that the average citizen today in Japan is not allowed the possession of a rifle or a handgun. So this young man goes out, gets himself some airsoft equipment, completely legal, begins training, and instead of like looking at all the crap we do over here, we have airsoft games and people shoot at each other and play basically airsoft tag, he looks at the people that he really wants to emulate, the people doing tactical drills. He doesn't take any courses. He doesn't go to any training. He just watches these people over and over and emulates them and follows them. And he reaches out to uh, T-Rex and says, hey, I'd love to come to the United States and actually shoot a real gun. And they reach out to their community and they do some fundraising and they fly this young man over and they bring him out on the range. And it doesn't go instantly perfect, but it goes almost instantly perfect. There is a certain amount of recoil that you have to deal with, et cetera, like that, but this kid goes through about a half a magazine uh, with each weapon system before he realizes how it works. And what I'm about to show you is not just amazing in his effectiveness. I purposefully included in this short segment some malfunctions, including you're going to see a malfunction. I'm pretty sure what happened. I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure what happened. It's a switching drill. So we're rifle, handgun, rifle, and each time there's a reload. Okay. And one shot and a reload and a switch to the other weapon. I'm pretty sure what happened is the instructor stole his magazine for switching a magazine to the AR on the second round. So he had no magazine, so he had to intuitively go to his handgun. It took a second. But listen to the guys watching him when it happens. Because if you've ever done this kind of shooting, many of you haven't. If you have, it's way more impressive. We've all been there that have done it. And some of the malfunctions are natural. A lot of the malfunctions in this type of training, your instructor made it happen. They did things to cause a malfunction to make you do the drills so it will happen. And the the, the fellow shooters and the instructor, watch the instructor's face when some of this stuff's going on. And, uh, again, for those of you on the audio only, I'm going to jump ahead for you. 
But come check this kid out. This is amazing. Awesome thoughts when it's done. And for those of you on the audio only, I, again, cut out the uh, the majority of this, but I did leave the very end where you hear from T-Rex here on uh, the conclusions at the end of this exercise. That the, the video alone is 35 minutes, and I really encourage you to go watch it for yourself. So a lot of people on the Internet and a lot of just people in society today believe that formal and professional education is the only way to learn everything or anything. But what we saw this past weekend is that someone who's had zero formal education, has not taken any firearms classes, has not taken any, you know, advanced pistol shooting, advanced rifle shooting, can run with guys who've been training for years, you know, professional SWAT guys, professional military guys, uh, former soft guys, and he can run with them just fine with no formal education. It's just attention to detail from videos that he finds, following good shooters, and then emulating what they're doing, and then putting in the time, putting in the reps. That's ultimately what matters. And that's something that, you know, I try to talk to a lot of people about is you don't need to take a ton of classes to be good at shooting. You just need to work on your own. It's playing scales on a piano. It's boring. You know, nobody wants to do it, but that's ultimately what it comes down to. And we saw a prime example of that the past couple of days from show where he's putting in time for the past three years. It's not even like he's been doing this 10 years. It's only been three years. And then he's coming out to the range and hammering out drills faster than a lot of us. And his accuracy, you know, there's a few things that he just needs to work on with live fire. But considering that he hasn't had any of that in three years is absolutely incredible and speaks to the fact that you can indeed teach yourself things without formal education. Shooter ready. Ready. Stand by. 228. First shot, 99. Fast. Shooter ready. Stand by. All right, so that was a little bit jumpy in some spots, and I apologize for it. I actually... Um, took the extra step of stripping that video down and editing that together instead of just playing a segment to avoid that. And usually it works. So um, I, I apologize for the skippiness, but I think you get the gist of that. I want to point something out, too. Um, one of the, the commenters here says, from playing Counter-Strike half my youth and not being in a country where guns are allowed – You count the remaining bullets in the mags if you're a pro. The kid is badass, though, uh, no question about it. See, there's some things you don't know since you never took that training. So you don't always get to count your mags because often your instructor loads your mags, and the 30-round mag actually has 22 rounds in it, and one of the rounds is set up to desi designed to create the mechanical failure. Like I said, in the one instance where he's doing the switching drill, the instructor stole his mag from his mag pouch. So you have to deal with the fact, hey, I thought I had a mag I don't. So the re the reality of this training is way beyond what people think. And I didn't show the very beginning. The first few shots he fires, he's very good with his movement and his, his uh, manual of arms of clearing weapons and things, but he doesn't really hit well. He's low because he's not used to actual recoil. But it takes, it takes again, about a half a mag for this kid to, uh, to do this. Uh, somebody here said they didn't, they've, they've never seen an airsoft that ejects rounds that way. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yes, there's a difference. No, there's no equivalent to training live fire, but there's also no closer equivalent to training with good quality, professional level, gas blowback airsoft guns that sell between $100 and $200 on average. 
Uh, some of the AR, PTRs, professional training rifles, you're more in the $300 to $400 range. But you can shoot all the time anywhere. So what this made me think of is all of the karate, jiu-jitsu, et cetera, studios out there that young people go to, you know, they do classes for adults and all, but we all know martial arts instructors would make no money without kids coming into their dojos. What about creating a airsoft dojo model? and making it a way for young men and young women to learn discipline and skill sets. I just think that would be really, really awesome. Really, really awesome. And Mike says, I didn't realize that was all live fire first. I thought it was uh, airsoft. Yeah, <clears throat> that was all live fire. There's literally, You'll watch the whole video. It's over 30 minutes long. There's not a single airsoft gun in the video. So this kid comes over from Japan. He has never touched a firearm. That's what makes this impressive. He's not just good. He's running toe-to-toe with people who have done this for most of their lives after three years of training. Does that mean everybody will do it? No, but it means it can be done. And this is why I think we need to formalize this a little bit more. Cost. What's a box of 9 mil or 40 Smith cost right now? I don't even know because I have enough laid up that I don't really pay attention or care, but I know it ain't cheap. Okay, but here's a bigger question. You want to set up a tactical training school? What's the cost of your insurance? What's the cost of a location where you can actually do it that's close to where people live? If you live way out in the sticks that you can do it, you see what I'm saying? But we can set the, we can take an old busted ass warehouse that we can lease for under a grand a month and we can set up all the drills. I've always said that I'd love to, uh, to see it done. Mike says 25 hollow points in Canada is 19 Canadian dollars. You're getting close to a dollar around there, folks. 50 cents around. How much can you afford to shoot on a, on a weekly basis? You can shoot airsoft guns practically for free. Jim, Jim, I don't know who ships. I'll tell you who shoots a 40. Limp, limp wristed FBI guys that couldn't handle a 10 millimeter. That's, that's who shoots 40. I own a 40 Smith and Wesson. The barrel is sitting diff, you know, away from the gun. Um, I was able to come across uh, at a really good deal. I won't say exactly how, but a, a SIG 239 that I carry a lot now that I rebarreled a 357 SIG because basically you take it apart, flip the barrel out, put the new barrel in, and the 40 Smith barrel, I don't think I've ever fired around through it. So I'm not a fan of it. I was just bringing up an example of common, common carry calibers. So I just think there's a lot with this, and I would love to see programs developed to develop discipline and training in the youth. And I would say... The odds of a serious injury occurring in a well-run airsoft tactical training program designed for young people are not infinitesimal, like there's going to be no serious injuries. But I think they're lower than your average karate class. Just saying. So I think it's something we could do, and I think that there's a lot of people that would really kind of dig putting their kids in something like this. And I don't even know if it has to be a business. I think it's something that a group of dads and moms could get together and set up and start doing. And if not that, then you can do it with your kids in your backyard or your basement. All right, moving on. I just, it's dead. I don't ever want to hear it's not realistic again. It's dead. It's dead. It's dead. It's all the way dead. I guarantee you, the person that tells me it's not realistic, if I put you side by side with this kid, he's going to outshoot you. Now let's move along. Um, back to the doom and gloom. Pain is coming. Bad pain. I talked about this before I left for exit and build. I feel morally, morally obligated to repeat it. 
just from the diesel supply alone, major pain is coming. Major pain is coming. We have the lowest reserve of diesel fuel we've had in my life, probably, relative to the population and needs of society. The problem is there's no place for it to come from to make up the shortfall. We are only going into summer. We're only going into summer. And it's only going to get worse. Peak everything comes midsummer, and we're already in a bad place. Yes, it's the Northeast that will feel it first and then the entire East Coast, but don't think that you're going to get away with it in the middle United States like where I am in Texas or the West Coast. This is something that we, we, we're going to have to deal with. And, and, you know, Mike H here says we're over $6 a gallon in California for gas. Expensive is a thing. Expensive driving Uh, the, the price going up driven by short supply is also a thing, supply and demand. But actual shortage to the point of even if you have money, maybe you don't get fuel, that's something we really haven't seen since the 1970s. And I'm just barely old enough to remember this, and I was a kid in the 70s, a little kid in the 70s, who generally would not have paid attention to gasoline prices or the gas situation at all. Most people that are 50 years old, They kind of know there was that thing that went on in the 70s. Maybe they remember their mom and dad bitching about it a little bit. But they don't actually have a real memory of it. They have an echo of a memory. My father ran a gas uh, gas station and tire shop in the 70s. So it was real world at home for me. And I remember not being able to get gas unless your license plate ended, it was like even numbers one day, odd numbers other days, and certain letters some days and others or something like that. And I remember how we were privileged, right? I don't think we used that word, but lucky I think was the word we used. Since my dad owned a gas station, we'd do whatever the hell we wanted as far as getting gas, even though we weren't supposed to. The memory of the United States people is short. This is the 1970s mixed with the 1930s, guys. And I know I keep saying it, but get out of these, these, these clusterfuck cities if you're still there. I don't, I don't even know what to say at this point. If you want to see when people get mad, if you want to see when people start like hanging politicians, bureaucrats, et cetera, from lampposts, if you want to see when people start really breaking windows and burning down buildings when they're hungry, when they're hungry. Um, we're in a, we're in a bad situation here. Now, how bad will it get? I was point blank asked that this weekend by Nicole Sauce while we were having a drink. And I said, the best, and it's not a direct analogy, the best analogy I can give you is 1980s USSR. What life was like for the Russian people, the Soviet people in the 80s, right before the Soviet Union completely fell apart, by the way, is what I see for the United States. Not a direct corollary. We're a different time, a different place, a different economic system in the United States than they had. But the type of pain is where I see the analogy. And all I'm going to say is, if you can lay up more food, lay up more food. If you can lay up more fuel, lay up more fuel. If you can lay up more of anything that you're going to rely on, 
lay it up, have a security plan in place, and have a plan in place. You should have all this anyway. But how you're going to get to places if shit goes sideways in the city or town that you live in, and the bigger the city or town you live in, the more likely it is you're going to need that alternate routes plan. That's all I'm going to say on it today. Um, listen to this. Zippor88. Should I sell, should I sell my house and use the money for gold and silver prepping? No! Don't do that! That's stupid! That's what people that want to sell you silver and gold tell you. No! Don't do that! That's stupid! I can tell you're new to the show. I don't mean to yell at you, but good Lord, I want everybody to hear that, so I'm going to say it forcefully. No, don't do that. That's stupid. You can go all in on silver and gold when food's going to be short. You're going to eat silver? You're going to eat gold? What are you going to do? Stick it up your ass and hope you can absorb minerals through your butt? Don't do that. That's stupid. Don't do that. That's stupid. You know what's not stupid? Having a place to live. You know this thing, the, the whole housing market's gonna crash and they're gonna throw everybody out. No, they're not. No, they're not. You want me to leave in the middle of a crash where nobody can afford it? Right? Make me leave. Yeah. No, don't do that. Shore up your ability to feed care for and protect your family and do it now. If you want to sell your house and move somewhere else, that I will endorse. Selling your house to buy as much gold and silver as you can when they can crash that market next and you get stuck in the in the in-between. I recommend silver and gold. I recommend silver and gold the way I recommend Bitcoin. Small amounts over time until you stack enough that you feel I've got that covered. And then maybe sometimes when it goes down you stack harder. That's a methodical approach, and it's not financial advice. Somebody said Jack doesn't do financial advice. Yeah, it's just what I do. But I will tell you what not to do. And liquidating your real property to buy gold and silver bars is coming from a state of fear. And even though I'm telling you shit serious, I do not want you to act in a state of fear because you will do something stupid when you act in a state of fear. And the more money you have, the more power you have, and the more power that you that you use the wrong way, the more you can hurt yourself and others. Okay? Just think. And the reason I use the analogy of the 1980s in Soviet Union, almost everybody in FOV got through it. Just some got through it better than others. That's the big analogy here. We can get through this. And remember, if you're asking questions, it is important that you use all caps because I don't have time to read them all right now as they come in and chat. And I am starring them so I can at least get them in review. I won't answer them all today. We're going to go a bit long. Um, but, yeah, we are going to have supply chain issues with agriculture and energy and everything. And don't think – that they may not continue to increase this war. You know what the idiots are doing now? Finland wants to join NATO in the middle of the Russia-Ukraine war. Yeah, that's that's going to de-escalate things. We're pouring more in, and our freaking Congress clowns and senators are using more stupid language, like saying directly, we are at war. Don't think that Russia doesn't listen to it when our mouthpieces are saying, we are at war, but we're not at war, but we're at war, but we're not at war. Um, I'll save my thoughts on this. Just please... Please take it seriously.
Look at it this way. If wherever you live, there was a major storm coming, and it was a really long storm to get to you, but you knew it was going to hit you. Knock out power, blow roofs off houses, all that shit. But you had like a month to get ready for it. You'd figure out what you most need to do to deal with that storm, and you'd go out there and you would do the things. I'm telling you to do the things to prepare for this, and if you don't do something stupid like sell your house and buy a bunch of silver and gold that may not be worth anything to you in the short midterm because no one will want it because they want to eat instead, that's dumb, don't do it. But if you do the things I'm telling you to do, like shore up on the resources you're going to require in the next 90 days, six months, one year, and nothing happens, you obey my rule. Live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't, because all you're going to do is buy it now, use it through that period of time, and if nothing goes wrong, resupply on the other end. If you don't get it, and you do need it, you're going to be screwed. You see how that works. So I'm telling you, my gut is it's going to be bad, and I am, I am a humble person, even though sometimes I sound like I'm not. I know what I don't, I don't know what I don't know, but I know that I don't know. Okay. Cause you can't know exactly what you don't know because you don't know it. Right. There's actually a book that came out in the seventies. I think it was beautiful green book, gold lettering on it said what you don't know. It's like 200 pages. They were all blank to make the point. Right. Um, I don't know how bad it's going to get. I don't know if I'm right. I do know that the probability is high and I do know shoring up where you could fall short of things you need can't really hurt you. Maybe you pay a little more during a shortage for it, right? But since you're going to use it anyway, you would have bought the thing anyway. Maybe you would have paid 20% less for it if the price comes down on the other side. Big freaking deal. I'd rather have paid 20% more for some shit that I was going to need, got to the other side and been okay and really didn't need to do it, than be in the middle of it and not be able to get it and be hungry and look at my kids and wonder whether or not I could feed them the next day. Or we're settling for ramen, boys. Okay? Just, just, and, and I'm just on a serious note here, because I know this is a joke, but net worth staked in Bitcoin for Jackistan. Don't do it. Don't wait on me for Jackistan. I'm not here to save you. We'll talk about that at the end of the show, so we'll skip ahead. Don't wait for anybody. Don't wait for anything. These last two talks I gave uh, at, at uh, Exit and Build and then at Float Fest, There's all these plans. We're going to have these communities. We're going to do these big things. Technology's coming, blah, blah, blah. I think it's all great. Love the big vision. But don't wait. Act now. That's what I wanted to put under you. Anyway, sorry for yelling, but I just don't want anybody to do dumb shit out of fear. Um, on the whole speaking thing, I, a good friend of mine and Nicole Sauce, are thinking about putting together our own really large engagement. So don't think because I'm saying this, I'm going to stop building. We're, we're thinking ahead to next year about doing something more specific to our audience about growing. Grow your food, grow yourself, grow your money, right? I mean, something like that and bringing together awesome people, maybe a thousand awesome people, top line. So we're thinking about building while everything's falling apart. The title of my first uh, speech at Exit and Build was Build Your Empire While There's crumbles. So I'm still building. I'm optimistic. 
Don't let this all be gloom and doom. It's urgency because the better you get through a thing, the more you can capitalize on the other side. We're thinking about doing that. And one of the many reasons that myself and Nicole and this other gentleman came up with as we talked about it this weekend is how much I love doing it. Seeing people be inspired, having people come up and saying, hey, I'm going to go do a thing. I want you guys to do the things, do all the things that are necessary to make your life better. Don't let the fear of the shit that I'm telling you could happen prevent you from doing what you could do. The 70s were miserable for some people. My dad did really well. There were a lot of millionaires created right in the middle of the Great Depression. Some of the most iconic, largest brands in America today that are falling into woke stupidity, unfortunately, now, but they were built in the middle of the Great Depression. I mean, really, like one of the best things you can do to get your mind right about all this, watch the, the show. It's on history, I think. It's called The Food That Built America. Like, go back and watch it from the beginning, man. Go build. And we're thinking about building something to help builders build. Like a, like one of the coolest networking, gathering, conferences, educational things ever. Because, man, did I love doing it. So I did one talk on Friday. I closed down everything on Friday evening. Build your empire while those crumble, while, while theirs crumbles. And then Sunday, Nicole Sauce, John Bush, and I did a panel discussion on entrepreneurship. And I got absolutely on fire with passion because I believe that every one of you out there can build something right now. And the companies that do well, the people that do well, Build while blood runs in the streets. That's what they do. When everybody else is freaking out, they keep their head. You know, read, I'm not going to do it today. I should have set it aside, maybe having somebody else read it for you. If by Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling. That's how, that's how far school has fallen. The, the government schools, they sucked when I was a kid, but they were at least useful in some ways. We had to memorize if by Rudyard Kipling when I was in school. Today, we're worried about flo pronoun fluidity and shit. Go read that. Read that, read that poem to yourself every day until you start acting like a winner. And yeah, don't wait on us, but we're going to do something cool. So be there when, we, when we're ready to do it with you. All right. Next, back to the gloom and doom. I'm going to do something for you now, and I'm going to have to give a disclaimer. Not because it's important for me to virtue signal so that I can say, well, I'm not endorsing, you know, not, not that way. I'm doing it more because first I know it's going to be necessary because some asshole somewhere is going to take out some of what I'm going to say along with what I'm about to play that's from Ted Kaczynski's manifesto and say, Jack Spearco thinks Ted Kaczynski's a hero or some stupid shit like that. Okay. And when you see it happen, when you see it happen, I want you to point to this segment right here where I'm introducing it and show what an asshole that person is. Ted Kaczynski is a murderous piece of shit of a human being who killed people who did nothing wrong to try to make a point. And a prison at best, which is where he is, is where he needs to be. And if you, Like, there's a great movie about this. It's on Netflix. I don't have Netflix anymore. I don't remember what it's called. 
but it's like a mini series on it. You'll, you'll get some empathy and sympathy for Kaczynski. If you actually listen to interviews with him while he's in prison, a lot of your empathy will evaporate into contempt. Not a good guy. He also had an IQ, I believe, of like 180 or something, though. And most of you have probably ne never read a word or heard a word of his whole manifesto on industrial society. And the reason you haven't heard it is because people that are in charge of shit don't really want you to hear it. And it's actually phenomenal when it was written for what he says. Not just in the piece I'm about to play for you, but some stuff I'm going to talk about after you hear this. So I want to play this for you now. And Mike says I'm pretty sure he was involved with LSD experiments in his early years. I do want to say something about that before I play this, right? Um, Ted Kaczynski was, there it is. Thank you. MK Ultra Victim. MK Ultra was a program that was run on college students where professors would, working with the CIA, singled out students who were particularly subjective to um, mind manipulation, especially very intelligent people, to determine the validity of brainwashing and control. And horrible, horrible things were done to them in these experiments where their trusted mentor, their teacher, was setting them up for this misery. And, and it's really worth watching that miniseries because you really get an understanding of what they did. And I'll save my other thoughts on that for after you guys see this. But um, I want you to see this. Hopefully I'm going to add the right one to the stream because I can't tell looking at this here which one I need to be adding. But I think it's this one here. Deeply troubled society. One of the most widespread manifestations of the craziness of our world is leftism. So a discussion of the psychology of leftism can serve as an introduction to the discussion of the problems of modern society in general. But what is leftism? During the first half of the 20th century, leftism could have been practically identified with socialism. Today, the movement is fragmented, and it's not clear who can properly be called a leftist. When we speak of leftists in this article, we have in mind mainly socialists, collectivists, politically correct types, feminists, gay and disability activists, animal rights activists, and the like. But not everyone who is associated with one of these movements is a leftist. What we are trying to get at in discussing leftism is not so much movement or an ideology as a psychological type, or rather a collection of related types. Thus, what we mean by leftism will emerge more clearly in the course of our discussion of leftist psychology. Even so, our conception of leftism will remain a good deal less clear than we would wish, but there doesn't seem to be any remedy for this. All we are trying to do here is indicate in a rough and approximate way the two psychological tendencies that we believe are the main driving force of modern leftism. We by no means claim to be telling the whole truth about leftist psychology. Also, our discussion is meant to apply to modern leftism only. We leave open the discussion of the extent to which our discussion could be applied to the leftists of the 19th and 20th centuries. The two psychological tendencies that underlie modern leftism we call feelings of inferiority and over-socialization. Feelings of inferiority are characteristic of modern leftism as a whole, while over-socialization is characteristic only of a certain segment of modern leftism, but this segment is highly influential. Feelings of inferiority By feelings of inferiority, we mean not only inferiority feelings in the strict sense, but a whole spectrum of related traits. Low self-esteem, feelings of powerlessness, depressive tendencies, defeatism, guilt, self-hatred, etc. 
We argue that modern leftists tend to have some such feelings, possibly more or less repressed, and that these feelings are decisive in determining the direction of modern leftism. When someone interprets as derogatory almost anything that is said about him or about groups with whom he identifies, we conclude that he has inferiority feelings or low self-esteem. This tendency is pronounced among minority rights activists, whether or not they belong to the minority groups whose rights they defend. They are hypersensitive about the words used to designate minorities and about anything that is said concerning minorities. The terms Negro, Oriental, Handicapped, or Chick for an African, an Asian, a disabled person, or a woman originally had no derogatory connotation. Broad and Chick were the feminine equivalents of Guy, Dude, or Fellow. The negative connotations have been attached to these terms by the activists themselves. Some animal rights activists have gone so far as to reject the word pet and insist on its replacement by animal companion. Leftish anthropologists go to great lengths to avoid saying anything about primitive peoples that could conceivably be interpreted as negative. They want to replace the word primitive by non-literate. They may seem almost paranoid about anything that might suggest that any primitive culture is inferior to ours. We do not mean to imply that primitive cultures are inferior to ours. We merely point out the hypersensitivity of leftish anthropologists. Those who are most sensitive about politically incorrect terminology are not the average black ghetto dweller, Asian immigrant, abused woman, or disabled person, but a minority of activists, many of whom do not even belong to any oppressed group but come from privileged strata of society. Political correctness has its stronghold among university professors who have secure employment with comfortable salaries, and the majority of whom are heterosexual white males from upper-to-middle-class families. Many leftists have an intense identification with the problems of groups that have an image of being weak, women, defeated, American Indians, repellent, homosexuals, or otherwise inferior. The leftists themselves feel that these groups are inferior. They would never admit to themselves that they have such feelings, but it is precisely because they do see these groups as inferior that they identify with their problems. We do not mean to suggest that women, Indians, etc. are inferior. We're only making a point about leftist psychology. Feminists are desperately anxious to prove that women are as strong and as capable as men. Clearly they are nagged by a fear that women may not be as strong and as capable as men. Leftists tend to hate anything that has an image of being strong, good, and successful. They hate America. They hate Western civilization. They hate white males. They hate rationality. The reasons that leftists give for hating the West, etc., clearly do not correspond with their real motives. They say they hate the West because it is warlike, imperialistic, sexist, ethnocentric, and so forth. But where these same faults appear in socialist countries or in primitive cultures, the leftists find excuses for them. Or at best, he grudgingly admits that they exist, whereas he enthusiastically points out, and often greatly exaggerates, these faults where they appear in Western civilization. Thus it is clear that these faults are not the leftist's real motive for hating America and the West. He hates America and the West because they are strong and successful. Words like self-confidence, self-reliance, initiative, enterprise, optimism, etc. play little role in the liberal and leftist vocabulary. The leftist is anti-individualistic, pro-collectivist. He wants society to solve everyone's problems for them, satisfy everyone's needs for them, take care of them. He's not the sort of person who has an inner sense of confidence in his ability to solve his own problems and satisfy his own needs. The leftist is antagonistic to the concept of competition because, deep inside, he feels like a loser. 
Art forms that appeal to modern leftist intellectuals tend to focus on sordidness, defeat, and despair, or else they take an orgiastic tone, throwing off rational control as if there were no hope of accomplishing anything through rational calculation, and all that was left was to immerse oneself in the sensations of the moment. Modern leftist philosophers tend to dismiss reason, science, objective reality, and to insist that everything is culturally relative. It is true that one can ask serious questions about the foundations of scientific knowledge and about how, if at all, the concept of objective reality can be defined. But it is obvious that modern leftist philosophers are not simply cool-headed logicians systematically analyzing the foundations of knowledge. They are deeply involved emotionally in their attack on truth and reality. All right, guys, let me get that off the screen there. Um, there were some interesting responses to that that actually were what I expected. There's people that are shocked that that wasn't written now, today, in the modern day. It was published September 19, 1995. Now, again, I'm not propping up Kaczynski as a man. I'm saying these ideas are not what people think they were. The, the, the guy was like, even when they, so what happened? Here's what happened for those that don't know. I, I Sometimes I forget that there's a lot of people alive today that weren't even a lot, that would be old enough to listen to me. Or maybe they weren't not alive in 1995, but they weren't old enough to remember anything. You were, you were dropping a load in your diaper in 95, so you don't remember how big a story this was. So he had sent quite a few bombs in the mail. I think he killed one or two actual people. He seriously maimed and injured others. And this went on over almost a decade. It was, I think it was actually over a decade from the first bomb to the last bomb. And he wanted this manifesto published, and he said, if you publish it, I won't bomb anybody anymore. And it was then published. I don't remember exactly who published it. Uh, it might have been the Washington Post. It was, I don't remember. It was a major publication. And he had a requirement that if, if this was published and it was, uh, it might have been the Washington Post, I think, that if he did it, if they did it, he wouldn't, he wouldn't set off, set off any more bombs. Now, in the end, this is how he got caught. They looked at, the way the writing was done and they, and they knew it had to be a person of a certain level of IQ. And then the timing and the style guide, they actually used this to reverse engineer. And then they also set a trap in that they asked people who thought they might know somebody like this to actually read it. And his brother turned him in. His brother recognized the writing and turned him in. And it's a short version, but it's, it's totally worth uh, researching. Now, again, I don't have to say the guy's a good guy to say he's right. Yeah. I, I want to talk about some other things that were in this book that are really interesting that might be being used by the people in power right now. The Or this, this manifesto. A lot of it was about the revolution. The revolution. It was a revolution against technology. That's what he wanted. He wanted to get rid of all this technology. There's a point in the manifesto that he says... Don't the revolutionaries should not seek political power until the basic, you know, dumbed down version is until shit's so screwed up that you can blame the people that had power for how screwed up it is before you change the system. Interesting. So you'd need somebody to like accelerate the screw up 
completely incompetently if you wanted to change the system into something new so that when you brought the new system in, the things that don't work or cause pain during the transition can be blamed backward. And it was already miserable, so more misery is not that big of a deal, Brandon. Huh? That's an interesting thing. <clears throat> he also says something that I wonder if he would have even sent a single bomb. If we, so part with Kaczynski, you cannot separate what the government did to his mind with MK Ultra from the total story. It's like an equivalent to trying to talk about United States history and leaving slavery out. You know, all these wonderful thoughts of our founders, but we made, a, we made an allowance for one man owning another man. You can't leave it out. You can't. You can't have an honest discussion. And I don't mean it's an equivalent. I just mean it's an analogy. You, if you have a discussion of the history of the United States of America and all it's good and all the good that it did, and you leave out slavery, you're not being honest, and you're ignoring a scar, a true scar, a true cancer in our past, and we shouldn't do it. And to judge Ted Kaczynski apart from having his mind manipulated with drugs and, and mental torture by somebody trusted in his, his, you know, his mentor, his teacher, along with the United States government, is you can't have that discussion either. So there's that. But there's also... The idea that he wanted his voice heard, and he really thought he was right, and I think he got a lot wrong, and I think he got a lot right, to just sum it up, on what he wrote, not what he did, just to be clear. Because I know some asshole's going to do this, guys. I know it. Um, but if, if Ted Kaczynski was in his early days right now with his theories – where anybody can reach anybody like I'm doing right now, even with the censorship across social media and all, might he have not felt that he needed to get in a newspaper? And might he have thought his way to get into the newspaper was through mayhem and death and malice? And if you don't put him through MK Ultra, does Ted Kaczynski manifest as a theologian or a podcaster or something like that if he manifests originally after the genesis of the modern Internet. I don't know. I'm not saying you would. I'm just saying it's an interesting thing to think about. And that brings me to another thing. A lot of times people get the thing right, but they get the how wrong. So I think it was Arthur C. Clarke that in his fiction, in his fiction prophesied accurately um, satellites that there would be these things that would be up in space around our round planet, sorry, flat earthers, and that signals would be able to bounce off them and enable communications around the world. He literally said, if it, was, if it wasn't Clark, it was somebody like one of his contemporaries that wrote about satellites. Yeah, I, 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 you know, again, I forget. I'm sorry, guys. Thank you, Mike. Some people might not even know who this Kaczynski guy was. You've probably heard the term Unabomber. He was known as the Unabomber. And I really recommend that you look up the miniseries and watch it. It, 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 it. And then just don't have too much sympathy for the man. Because as much as the guy probably deserves some sympathy, if you again, if you listen to the interviews, a lot of it will dry up. You'll find yourself somewhere in the middle, which a lot of times is the right place to be. 
But anyway, he got the whole idea of the satellite right. But you know what he said? Again, if it wasn't Clark, it was somebody like him. They would be made out of bricks. Now, why? It was the most um, durable construction material that you might cobble something together with of the time. Yeah. And 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 he got the the what right a satellite and the wrong right the construction methodology. So something else that Kaczynski says in his manifesto is that technology falls apart, it goes backwards, it regresses in history, but only if it's organizationally dependent. This is this is going to blow your mind if you if you have an understanding of blockchain here in a second. So in other words, when everything fell to shit and we have someone giving us the Netflix link, and I'll, I'll try to remember to look that up and add it to the audio notes when this is over. Um, but it would, like the Roman aqueducts regressed after the fall of the Roman Empire. They were organizationally dependent. They required the Romans to maintain them. And when Rome went away, and Rome didn't have its military and its tax system and its road system and its infrastructure, the average person who would have loved the water to keep coming to their little town did not have the capability to maintain the aqueduct. But if they had a stream that ran through, a local craftsman could make a water wheel, so the water wheel never went away, only the aqueduct, because the this is... Again, you can think this guy's a piece of crap as a human being for killing people. You can give him no excuse for MK Ultra, which I think is maybe not an excuse, but at least an aggravating circumstance, some understanding of what happened. Doesn't mean he's wrong. So the average, so now I want you to think about this in modern technology. So much of our modern technology is organizationally dependent. If there's not a central organization to maintain it, we can't use it. But as long as we have anything like an internet, So the internet as we have it today, or the mesh internet of the future that will be maintained individually, little box sitting over here, you know, right? Little box sitting there, and we can maintain a mesh internet. If we maintain that, we can maintain blockchain, we can maintain Bitcoin. It's the most impressive technology humans have ever built that's actually not organizationally dependent. What do you call a technology that's not dependent on an organization? Decentralized. It's an interesting way to look at this. Again, I encourage you to learn more about this, but it is less a manifesto, in my opinion, as far as its validity, and more a prophecy. So I think Kaczynski, Unabomber, like many people in history, are really smart people pinpointed the problem perfectly. It was the extrapolated solution that was the problem. And that could be because you're just wrong. And you see, one thing about being really smart, and it's something you have to remain humble with if you're highly intelligent, is it's really easy to convince yourself that since you're really smart and you got the problem right, you got the solution right. I've been humble. This is why I love permaculture. Permaculture humbles your ass. You're like, I know this will work. I know this will work. You do it. And nature's like, okay, all right, there you go, baby. There's your answer. It did work. You got to accept that feedback. When your, when your feedback is non-existent because you don't ever get to test your theories, 
your solutions can be off. I, I would take it like many modern vegans are good people and smart people. And some do it purely for nutritional reasons. Just that's fine. That's fine. But there's a lot of them that correctly identified the problem. How we treat animals in the modern food system is horrible. No living creature should be treated like a cow that goes to a CAFO out near Lubbock, Texas, that stands in its own shit up to its elbows. That should never happen to a living creature. I and the vegan completely agree. What's my solution? Let's put the cows on grass where they belong, run grazing systems, and let them have one bad second in their life. Their solution is never eat a cow. So you can get the problem right and the solution wrong. Because what are we doing with all the cows if we're not going to eat them? Kill them? What's the purpose of a, of a modern cow? Right? So you're going to save the cow by killing all the cows and getting rid of all the cows and then having no ruminants to graze your systems, further causing the ecological damage. You see how that works? I think Kaczynski had a lot of that going on. He had the problem correctly identified, but maybe he didn't have the solution. And maybe it was just because the technology that was necessary for the solution wasn't there. Now, here's the other side of it. His point was any technology that can be used to control society, to socialize people, which we think is a good thing, will be used to socialize people as a bad thing, to control and condition them. And the more technology was developed, the cheaper it would be to develop it, the more it would be distributed, the more people would have access to it. And even if it was used by a benevolent controller, initially it would result in bad things. And there was no way to keep it out of the hands of the benevolent because of the way it scales. That'll tie into some other things. I just encourage you to learn more. Um, and that goes straight on to where we're going next. This is really important to understand. And it, it's why I brought, I didn't bring this up just for the, the shock value. People think software is where the game is won. People think software is where the game is won. All the artificial intelligence and all of that. It's not. The game is won as, as to advancing technology and the hardware. It's won with the hardware. Hardware drives software. So I want you to think about, imagine you got a group together of the smartest computer programmers on the planet. The people at the absolute cutting edge of what's possible today. You made a giant think tank out of them. And you said, we'll fund it, build anything. And then you played a nasty trick by some sort of godlike power, Q-like power from the Star Trek universe. You went, whoop. The year is 1982. Go ahead. Start coding. What are they going to do? Something. Something cool. Maybe a little bit better than an Atari uh, 2600, right? But not much better. Why? Processor speeds, hard drive capacity. Yeah, you don't have a real internet. Al Gore ain't created it yet. You can dial into some message boards individually, but you don't have an interop. Where is it? If you understood what the internet was supposed to be and all these phone lines are there and we could use them, what are you going to use for computer servers? Where are you going to build your data centers with? It is the hardware that makes the software deployable. It is the hardware that's coming, right? And a lot of it already exists. It just needs to be assembled and pieced together. 
and made upgradable through software that's going to enable mesh internet. Where we're like, yeah, turn us off. We don't care. On the other side of it, when the marginal cost is zero, the end product becomes free. Technology is also deflationary at the same time. So if we're going to have a deflationary technology, right, and all technology is deflationary, right, all real technology is deflationary. That's why you can buy a 70-inch flat-screen television in 2022, even inflation-adjusted, for a fraction of what you could have bought a 25-inch television color TV in 1975 for. I mean, we all know, just by observation, right, and I'm back to another year that some of y'all weren't even born yet, but we all know by observation that if I go out and buy myself a really great 60-inch screen television today, right now, that five years from now, I'll be able to buy a much better one for less money, even inflation-adjusted, We all, unless society crumbles. like We all know that. But really think about it across that time span and how shitty – a 25-inch console TV that at least nobody was going to steal it because nobody could carry it alone was in 1975 compared to cutting-edge technology today. So it's deflationary, even the hardware side. But the software is what's really deflationary. So we need a deflationary money to go with it, don't we? So we don't blow us blow ourselves up? How does that work? So, you know, you have a smartphone. When's the last time any of you guys bought a calculator? Why not? It's free. Are there any calculator apps you pay money for? I don't mean like calculation apps. I mean, literally, it's just a calculator. You enter numbers and get an answer. I don't think anybody sells one of those. Why would you? There's no money in making one anymore. So it became free. It's distributed. You have a calculator app on your phone. It's free. You have a computer. Any OS on any computer has a built-in, like a Mac has a built-in calculator app. A Windows machine has a built-in calculator app. When you get the marginal cost to zero, meaning it doesn't cost me anything to produce it except one time. I have to pay to produce it one time. And once it's produced, it's produced. Even if I can still sell it, because software is like printing money because of that. I develop the software once, I sell it over and over again. But over time, anything I can produce with a marginal cost, meaning the next rendition of it is free, will become zero. It's a race to the bottom. You might as well go to zero as fast as you can. And it's just something to think about and think about how hardware is driving everything that happens and how that maybe this dystopian future that was painted by Ted Kaczynski doesn't all have to happen. See, I snuck that all in there to screw it up for you. Because I want to tell you something else I just recently heard. And this is one of those things that, like, some of the stuff I heard was actually worse, but this is the one that hit me right here in the guts, and it stuck And I had to talk about it today. Empathy nurses. So I was listening to a podcast. I think it was on the Wolf of All Streets podcast. And now the name of the two guests has just gone out of my head. And one is a huge name in the world of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And the other one I don't really know as well. He's actually really, really big, but he's like underground big. I'll find it. I'll try to link to it in the audio notes, which you can find a link to in the video notes below about an hour after the live feed ends. 
But the one of them said that one of the biggest employment growth sectors in the future is already projected to be empathy nurses. What is an empathy nurse? An empathy nurse is when you go to a hospital or a nursing home and you're going to be really sick and you may not make it or you're going to die and we know you're going to die. And all your hair, all your care is going to be done by robots and automation and AI. Oh, you need some more of this? Well, we'll just turn it up. You need a little less of that? We'll turn it down. You're a little bit cold? We'll warm your bed. A little bit hot? We'll cool it down a little bit. Like, not actually all in. Not every bit of that's bad. That means nobody can be tired and on break and you needed some help and they didn't show up. So you didn't get your medication and then you didn't just die, but you died in a lot of pain when you didn't have to. Something like that, right? Um, so what's the, where's the empathy nurse come in? You're in hospice now. And you, you can't do it at home. You're in the hospital and the AI is seeing all your needs until that moment we all find out what's on the other side, if anything. You need somebody to hold your hand. You need somebody to touch your arm. You need somebody to listen to you, to hear you. And uh, I heard that and I thought, wow, that's, that's actually really dark. That we replace what humans do with so much technology that we need this. And this is not a... Well, it might happen. This is like literally there are plans for this now. People that are like recruiters that recruit people for jobs are already thinking this is one of our growth sectors in the future. That's how real this is. Then check this shit out. I talked to some people at the Exit and Build about this, and I get two different stories. I get some of the people that are doulas, which are like the people that help women through pregnancy are beginning to actually do this already for other things. And that there's beginning to be a, a, a segment or a, a market thing that's already doing this outside of healthcare, just people that need to be talked to basically selling their time, selling their time to listen and pay attention. We're getting to a place where we have so much disconnection from humanity that people are willing to pay other people to listen to them. You think it's new? What do you think therapy is? You know, mental therapy where you talk to a therapist and they help you work through your life. We all know that they spend 90% of their time not talking, just getting you to talk and hearing what you have to say and you talk through your shit. A lot of times their advice really isn't any good or they refuse to give any advice. Maybe they pretend to write shit down, but they're doodling crap. They're really not paying attention, but to give you the sense that somebody gives a shit. People become hooked on them. They start paying them. I don't mean to draw any analogies here that mean that somebody doing this is doing this other thing instead. But how many rich guys hire call girls because they listen and talk? How many people hire people in that space and they don't even have sex? More than you'd think. We are so disconnected from humanity already that people are paying for a connection to humanity. Guys, that's dark. And we've been doing it for a long time. And uh, somebody here said, that's the term right there. Crystal uh, Hardesty said, death doula. Saw this, but it was more for people that knew they were going to die and they were there to help the person and the family. Yeah, it's the same type of thing. But sometimes maybe it's not because you're dying, but you're just alone. Well, what happens when we replace so much of what we do as people with machines, 
And then there's the really scary part. The gentleman that was talking said, and eventually the machines will do it so well, you'll believe it and you won't need a person. It's pretty dark. Thinking about dystopian futures, there's a little movie. And I was surprised how many people, I was talking about this movie this weekend too with people. How many people have never seen this movie? It's called Idiocracy. It's a comedy, but it's starting to be uh, more of a, a preliminary documentary, I guess you'd say, like a prophetic documentary, what's coming, how we're acting. This is, uh, this is a scene in this movie. So the, the gist of this movie, if you've never seen it, Luke Wilson is not sure. That's his name in the movie eventually anyway, in the dystopian future. He's in the army and they're doing an experiment. They're going to freeze him and this woman who actually is a prostitute. I don't, they never really explain why they had to go outside the military to get the female in this. They, they do a, it makes a pretty good gag though. Upgrade. If you guys remember, I used to call my rooster upgrade. That's where the name comes from, from this movie. He was the pimp. Idiot. Yeah. Upgrade on get his money. Right. Um, he, they're supposed to be frozen for a year, but they get frozen for like 300 and they wake up in the idiocracy where everybody's been dumbed down and are stupid. And a WWE-style wrestler, who I believe his full name was Hector Mountain Dew Camacho, I think I left a, a name out of there, who you're about to see is President of America, which is interesting, by the way. President of America would actually be the right title. Like, they make it like that's a dumb thing to say. I'm not going to get into the uh, stuff that people will call conspiracy today, but President of America, not the United States, would be an interesting change to that term that wouldn't be quite so idiotic but it turns out that our friend who ends up with the name not sure and i won't tell you how it happens dorito yeah dorito we won't talk about dorito this is great um but uh he turns out to be the smartest person alive and he's the most the reason he was selected for the project he's the most average person you can get he's not smart he's not stupid he's average and the most average person turns out to be the smartest person and after he has somewhat of some adventures the president president Camacho finds out how smart he is and he puts him in charge of fix everything and this is the speech that he gives and before I'll do this I'm just going to say that technically technically Donald Trump was a WWE superstar. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of America. Sit your monkey ass down. Chill out. I know shit's bad right now, with all that starving bullshit and the dust storms, and we running out of french fries and burrito coverings. Yeah. But I got a solution. That's what you said last time, dipshit. I got a solution. You're a dick. South Carolina, what's up? (laughs) That's what I thought. Now, I understand everyone's shit's emotional right now, but listen up. I got a three-point plan to fix everything. Number one, 
We got this guy not sure. Number two, he's got a higher IQ than any man alive. And number three, he's going to fix everything. I give you my word as president. He'll fix the problems with all the dead crap. He's going to make them grow again. And that ain't all. I give you my word. He's going to fix the dust on the President Camacho stood before the world and promised everyone that Joe would solve all their problems. He would not only end the Dust Bowl and heal the economy, but he would cure acne and car sickness as well. And if he didn't, President Camacho made another promise. He would kick Joe's smart balls all the way up to the roof of his smart mouth, and then he would throw his brainy ass back in jail. Okay, guys. Um, if you've never seen the movie, it's totally worth watching. And did anybody else find it ironic that the actual, like the average guy that's now the smartest guy in the room is named Joe? Just, just saying that's, that's, that's probably coincidence. And I, I I'm not being ironic. I, I really mean that. But, uh, the, uh, the interesting thing in this is the way that this happened in it becoming the idiocracy is the smart people stopped having babies and the stupid people kept reproducing. Tying it back to uh, Unabomber Kaczynski, right? There's a point in his manifesto where he says the following, some version of it, like I don't have it memorized or some shit like that, but that basically the people that are most resistant to governmental authority and see problems in the situation with the environment and they see uh, too many people around and all of the problems that we're dealing with because they think that having more children will add to the problem would be likely to have less children and therefore the people with a predisposition either genetically or because of the way they're brought up to resist the government will put themselves out of the population, leaving the population that's behind to be the people that are complacent and compliant. Now, this is not a direct analogy because there's I'm not going to give it away because if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. I don't want to give everything away in the movie, okay? Um, but there's an interesting corollary there. The wrong type of people reproducing and the right type of people not reproducing result in a dystopian future being led by the idiocracy. It's kind of spooky, isn't it? A little bit, I'd say. So what does this teach us? I hit something today thinking about this that I, I never noticed before. The name, not sure. Not sure, and I don't think this was intentional. If it was, then God bless the creator of this for being a freaking genius beyond genius, okay? I will tell you how he gets his name, not sure. I don't remember his, Joe something was his real name. But when he wakes up in this dystopian future, he can't think because he's been frozen for 300 years and he can't remember shit right. And he ends up in this thing and they're going to tattoo his arm. He's not even, he doesn't really know that's going to happen. And I said, what's your name? Because you don't have, you dumbass, you don't have your mark. Oh, you got to get marked on your arm, right? You get a tattoo and it's your ID. Yeah, interesting, right? 
So it's a pretty old movie, by the way. I'm just saying. So he, they're like, well, what's your name? He's like, I'm not sure. And it's like, not sure. And it tattoos not sure on his arm, and that becomes his name. In the movie, eventually, not sure does save the day, though he has some adventures after that little speech. It doesn't work out so well for him, and he almost ends up dead. But he saves the day by giving the plants water instead of Brondo. If you don't know what that means, you'll have to watch the movie. But in all the problems, what really saves the day is just changing what we water the plants with and actually using water to water the plants with. And to quote Joe in the movie, Luke Wilson's character, I don't know a lot, but I know sometimes if you put water on the crops, they grow. The situation that they were in could not have been fixed just by doing that. That's the one of the many fantasy things in it. Um, but the, the truth is not sure. I'm not sure. You're not sure. We're all not sure. We're all just regular guys and gals doing the best we can to get along. But we have to, we have to absolutely do our best, use our logic and common sense and go forward. Because there is no other not sure coming to save us. There's no Republican president that's going to fix everything and do it in one week. It's not coming. We all have to be our own not sure. We all have to be our own solution. We all have to find our own answers, and we're not sure what those answers are yet. We're not even sure what all the problems that we're going to face are. If you would have told me 20 years ago, and I was not exactly not switched on, even though I hadn't started doing the show yet, But if you told me 20 years ago the shit that I was going to see happen in my life, and I had assumed I was going to live to be 100, and you told me by the time you're 100, you're going to see all this shit happen, I would have been like, you are crazy. And it all happened in 20 years. I'm not sure what comes in the next 20. I'm not sure. Maybe I need to make a T-shirt that says, I'm not sure. Right? Remember South Park? I blew, I, I broke the dam. No, I broke the dam. We all broke the dam. I'm not sure. We're all not sure. It's a double entendre. I'm not sure, folks. But I do know shit's coming. And I do know we can get through it. Um, I do have some stuff I starred, but I, I'm not going to take any today. It's my first day back after a long trip out. It's an hour and 40 today. I did interact with some of you. Um, I might even go through this chat and use it for material for another show because it was really good. We covered a lot today, though, didn't we? Crypto and all coins and leveraging and the natural systems quad lemma. Airsoft for training. It's a solution, guys. I'm all about the solutions. What happens when the marginal cost goes to zero? The real pain and all this stupidity is going to get worse. We know it's going to happen, and we're all not sure. A person who's been marketed as nothing but an insane lunatic that killed people for no reason. We've learned that there's incredible wisdom there. And I encourage you to learn more. There's a link in the show notes. That does You don't have to admire somebody to learn from them. I'm not sure about a lot of things, but I'm pretty sure of that, that there's a lot of people you can learn from that you don't like. And you don't like who they are and what they are as a person, but you can still learn from them. Um, we've learned, I hope, in this walk that we've taken together for almost 14 years now, it'll be 14 years, about one month from today, we'll hit 14 years at TSP, um, that we're not sure. 
that we're not sure. We can be sure of one thing. There's one thing we can be sure of. As long as we're breathing, our mission here is not over. I'll catch you guys tomorrow with another episode. They gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way